Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 197 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week on the podcast, I had a wonderful conversation with a, photo- with a photographer living in British Columbia, Jeremy Jackson. Jeremy is a professor of psychometrics at Douglas College in New Westminster, British Columbia. In his own words, landscape photography has changed his life. Jeremy and I discussed some interesting topics this week, including how he got into landscape photography and how it changed his life, decision-making in landscape photography, stages of personal development in photography, why you shouldn't listen to him or any other photographers, his favorite photographers of all time, and lots more. Before we get started, I wanted to tell listeners one more time about some of the really awesome perks for joining Nature Photographers Network. Did you know that members of NPN have access to tons of discounts on video tutorials from the top names in our field, photo printing from Bayphoto and Duraplac, on landscape magazine membership, and a variety of ebooks from prominent photographers? As a listener of the podcast, you can get a 60-day free trial to NPN by using the link in the show notes. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Jeremy Jackson, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Well, you're most welcome, Matt. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so for people that might not be aware, I actually was um, sent your profile on Instagram uh, by my friend Kane, who I think is one of the best photographers on planet earth, but I also really trust his, trust his judgment and kind of what he thinks looks good. And as soon as he sent me your, your profile is like, yeah, there's some really fantastic photography in there. So, so that's, that is how I found out about you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, providing me with the opportunity to talk. And uh, I, I think probably at the time when your friend sent you that message, I maybe had I don't know, 900 followers or something like that on Instagram. And, you know, my I have a friend, Adam Gibbs, who's quite well known in the landscape photography community. And I, I told him, I want the fewest number of followers possible for the best photography on Instagram. And, uh, so he ruined that by actually, we, we went on a trip together and he did five videos on the trip. And so now that's ruined because everybody knows. So, so things <laughs> have changed, changed a lot since then. I was going to say, well, uh, now you have 901 followers because I, really <laughs> like I really liked your stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it went from, I think it's it was 900 then and now it's something like 3,000 or something in, in a few months or something. It's ridiculous. Hey, that's pretty good. That, I mean, honestly, it's so funny because people are always like, how do, you, how do you get a following on Instagram? And so many times it's like somebody that has a huge following already just makes a shout out and you get a, like a couple thousand followers. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. <clears throat> cool, man. Well, so for people that uh, aren't as lucky as me to to have been familiarized with your work, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into photography. Well, I have a PhD in uh, something called psychometrics, which is, I guess, roughly applied statistics, something like that. Uh, psychometricians sit in uh, psychology departments, so you will know well about psychometrics, having a clinic, uh, master's in clinical psychology. So uh, I'm a professor and I've done various consulting jobs and some business work uh, as a result of my statistical knowledge. Uh, also worked a little bit in medicine, worked at uh, the Terry Fox Research Lab for a few years and uh, BC Cancer Agency as a statistician and analyst of breast cancer data and so on. So that's my professional life. 
And my professional life is very objective. It's very rational. It's logical. Things must be well-defined, you know, they've got to be clear and, and all of that. And, you know, I, there's a sort of an artistic side to me as well. And it's not really fulfilled in my, my regular work. Uh, so, so photography is one of those ways that I just kind of relax, release a little bit from the, the sort of crushing logic of the work that I do. And, uh, and so I, what is it now? I must've started photography. Maybe I think I would have been a first year master's student, maybe something like that. So that would be 35 years ago, let's say now. And uh, I was introduced to it by my wife's cousin, Dirk. And uh, my wife's also a photographer. And so we got started photographing together. And uh, when my wife and I got married, we actually started doing uh, weddings. In what at that time was a new style. It was a, a sort of photojournalistic style. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the first couples, I think, to, as a, a man and woman to photograph weddings together in those days that was very uncommon now that's that's the norm but uh we just started doing weddings and we photographed them in this fast kind of black and white photojournalistic style and uh and that's sort of where i cut my teeth in photography we were probably photographing maybe 25 weddings a year or something like that which wow it, yeah it's it's a lot in the digital age because of course you have processing image processing and management which you do as a digital photographer but in those days in film, you didn't do any of that stuff. You just took your film to the lab and you got your film back and that was it. So it, it wasn't as difficult to in those days to shoot a lot of weddings as it is now. It's sort of counterintuitive. You'd think it'd be the reverse. Right. Yeah. You would think it would be a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it was actually easier in those days to shoot higher volumes than it is now. And so we photographed a lot back then. And that's where I really basically learned how to take pictures. I learned how cameras work and, and what light looks like and what good light is and how light works and so on. So. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned <clears throat> statistics because I think most people that have ever been acquainted with advanced statistics has kind of a love-hate relationship with it because at least that's been my experience. What I love about statistics is that when I first started getting into it, it was like, oh, this is how I prove to people that what I think is right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's oh, what I liked about it. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. You better give me the name of your professor right when we get off the air. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a half joking. I think statistics does, though, give you a really fun avenue uh, by which you can test hypothesis and, and things of that nature. So I do have a very high appreciation of, of statistics. You know, my, it's funny, my uh, my master's thesis. You, you might appreciate this, but I I created and validated a anxiety detection measure for elderly adults. Really? Well, that's yeah. that's that's right in the psychometric wheelhouse. Like you, you know, you have psychometrics and then you have statistics. Well, statistics really is a is is not a scientific discipline. It's more of a uh, a theoretical discipline. And so we, we just use statistics as psychometricians for measurement related purposes. So, so what you did is right up uh, my alley, I guess. Yeah, it was, um, I gotta admit, it was, if I had to do it again today, I would probably just have to retake all those statistics classes. Cause it's yeah. one of those things, if you don't use it, it's gone. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it really is like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I'm really curious to hear a little bit more um, how you kind of transitioned from shooting 20 to 25 weddings a year into 
solely just doing landscapes on top of your uh, uh, teaching duties? Well, I was always interested in landscape. Uh, the weddings were just a way to, you know, photography for me, I was a graduate student, so I had no money. So I couldn't afford cameras or lenses or anything like that. So photography was really expensive. And uh, my wife was also a graduate student. She has a PhD in neuropsychology. And uh, we had no money at all. I mean, it was just, I, I used to go to the, uh, I had this, this job at the BC Cancer Agency where I was a postdoc. And I used to go to the job, I wore my dad's pants because I couldn't even <laughs> afford to buy pants. You know? Right. So we had no money. And uh, so the wedding photography was just a way to make enough money to buy equipment. So I just really had not much interest at all in, in the wedding photography, other than the creative side. I found it extremely creative, what we were doing, maybe more creative than landscape. Well, probably more creative than landscape photography, actually, because the human expression and, and the human form is such an interesting form. And so I, I found that there were a lot of creative opportunities. Um, but really, it was it was just, you know, the wedding photography was just a way to try to fund the landscape photography, which I was immediately enthralled with right off the bat really my first year in photography uh I, it, it was the landscape that got me yeah what was it about the landscape that drew you deeper and deeper into photography i, I don't really know like maybe maybe you could answer this for me i'm not like you know i'm a psychologist right and you've got a, a, a master's in clinical i often think that people really don't know themselves you know they sort of think after the fact uh, about why they did things, but they don't really know why. And I, th I think that's probably true for me about landscape photography. I think maybe, maybe I'm a bit of a loner. You know, I like to be alone and the landscape allows you the opportunity to be alone. That's possibly something. I'm not sure. Well, uh, not only that, but I think what is really great about uh, landscape and nature photography, at least for me, is that it can be such an introspective uh, exercise that often, you know, through the busyness of our lives, we don't actually have the opportunity, time, or space to actually engage in. So I think for me, that's one of the things I love about it is that it gives me an opportunity to kind of slow my brain down for a minute and just kind of enjoy being outside and then slowly piece together different elements of what I'm seeing into something that may or may not work well within four, fr four frames. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that's a, a large part of it for me too, but honestly, you know, so I think back to the days when I started and, and there are certain things that stand out. Like uh, my, my cousin had taken a photograph at Long Beach and it was an unbelievable sunset. And it was just, it, I've never, actually, I've never seen anything like it since. It was so incredible. And the water had come up on the beach and there was a reflection of the trees and rocks. And it was just the most gorgeous photograph. And it was in my wife's uh, apartment. And uh, up on the wall, and I walked in. The first time I walked in, I saw it. And I just thought, my God, you know, where did you get that? That's absolutely gorgeous. I can't believe how beautiful that is. She said, well, my cousin took it. I said, that, you know, that can't be true. You know, there's just no way something that fantastic and beautiful. And it was, it was beautiful quality and everything. I couldn't believe it. And so I think partly maybe it's it, it was that. It was just realizing maybe I could actually do things that would be that exciting. And, I would, you know, I would, I would find that interesting. I yeah, I, I think that is one of the most amazing parts of landscape photography is those moments, you know, those, I think everyone who's been doing landscape photography for more than two or three years kind of has those moments embedded into their brain of like, oh my God, that, I remember that exact moment where I took that photograph and 
I remember the temperature. I remember how I felt. I remember what I was thinking. I mean, I think that is one of the most powerful aspects as a photographer in the landscape when you have those insane moments like that. Yeah, I really agree with that. I think certainly for me anyway, it's it's much more about the landscape than it is about the photography, actually. So the, the photographs remind me of those times. Right. Yeah, same here. It's a... Uh... It's a bonus when those when those images actually are good enough to that other people appreciate them as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I was really hoping to talk to you about as someone who's been photographing for 30 plus years, which, you know, for a lot of our listeners, that's a pretty big chunk of their lives. Um, you know, I'm 40, I just turned 42. So I would have been 12 years old when you started uh, <laughs> photography, which is kind of fun to think about. Uh, but I would love to hear about how uh, landscape photography has changed your life. Well, I think uh, you don't really appreciate something un until you look carefully at it. And, and we don't really look carefully at almost anything these days. Life is so fast paced that we never slow down and see what's there. And Landscape photography is, has caused me to slow down and see what's actually around me, see what's in the landscape, and see what the world really is. And so I look much, much more carefully at the natural world, I think, now than I ever would have uh, without landscape photography. And so I think I appreciate it much more than I ever would have at all. I remember I, I was born in England, and I remember uh, having a sort of a debate with somebody in graduate school about about the wilderness and about nature. And, and I remember saying in the debate, well, what's the problem with cutting down some trees? You know, I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to put, well, we're going to put some fields there. We're going to grow some crops and that will feed people and it'll improve quality of life. You know, what's the big deal? And they were quite perturbed by that. And, and now I understand exactly why that is, that, that I didn't really value the wilderness coming from England. I'd never seen it. I'd never known it. We lived in a, a city and there was no wilderness around where we were. And so I, I just think that it's given me the opportunity in my life to really appreciate something, understand something and know something I would never have known without landscape photography. Yeah, that, that resonates a lot with me. And I was lucky enough to, to grow up kind of seeing that stuff all the time. You know, my, my parents were both uh, relatively impoverished and, you know, on the weekend, we didn't do any vacations at all growing up, but I remember pretty much every weekend we would drive two to four hours into the mountains and camp, you know, in the, in the summer. And then we, you know, would go on hikes and climb mountains and stuff like that. And for me, it was just, it's, it just was part of my life ever since I can remember, but I can't even imagine if, you know, all you did was spend time in a city and you never spent time appreciating what is, what is out there. I think that definitely would give you a very different perspective of the natural world for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely true. I think people that, people that live in the wilderness or people that live away from cities, people that do activities that are uh, out of the city think really quite differently than people that live in a city. I think, actually, I think their, their thinking is a little bit broader sometimes. They understand more aspects of the world, not fewer as, as we sometimes think that people in, that live rurally uh, do so. I just think uh, it's given me a, a, a broader appreciation for the natural world, and that that's really I think added a lot to my life. 
That's great. What are some other things that you've noticed uh, over the years in terms of um, like potentially like some regressions or potential evolutions that have occurred in your life as a result of engaging in landscape photography? Well, I think it's always given me a, a purpose outside of doing work. Uh, you, you know, I mean, I guess professionally, to do well, you have to be pretty solely focused on what you're doing because the competition is very high. But for me, I just, I've never actually really been like that. I've always had sort of two major purposes or major goals in my life outside of my family uh, and, and landscape photography and, and producing art and uh, images of the landscape. That's been a, a major purpose in addition to my professional purpose. And so I just think it's my life is much broader much deeper than it would have been otherwise yeah that that speaks to me as well uh just i can't even i you know i think back to the time when i wasn't making photographs and it's kind of boring <laughs> to think about <laughs> you know like wow i was my life was not that exciting back then i i watched a lot more television um i spent a lot more time on the internet, like arguing with people on chat forums and things like that. <laughs> yeah, that's don't do my, that. <laughs> Yeah, my life was not nearly as uh, uh, rewarding, I guess you could say, before that. Yeah. Yeah, I think also uh, it's there's an issue of independence as well. I mean, when you're out in the wilderness, you know, it, it's on you. Uh, you, you know, you have to feed yourself. You have to keep yourself safe. You know, you, you have to find your way. Uh, you know, you have to stand on your own two feet out there. And I really love that. That that to me is probably the major draw of the whole thing is that uh, it's a test a little bit when you're out there and, and uh, you know, nobody's coming to rescue you. Uh, you're on your own and you get to figure out whether or not you can, you can handle it. And I like that part of it. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you, man. I love, I love that aspect of being outdoors. Um, the only part I don't like, which is so funny, but uh, I hate cars. Um, <clears throat> I'm always, I'm never, it's funny. I'm never worried about breaking my leg or running out of food or, you know, dying of thirst or, <laughs> or anything like that. But I'm always worried about my car breaking down or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> it's just funny how, you know, I think that's just like conditioning from when I was younger and having been on trips with my family and our car breaking down and things like that. But it is, it is uh, very, when you can real, when you realize that you can survive on your own several days at a, at a time by yourself in the outdoors, I think it's, it's a very powerful experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I don't know, it gives you confidence maybe. That you yes. That otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, <clears throat> another thing I was uh, really excited to talk to you about uh, based on what we had um, kind of talked about offline over email was this idea that you sent me that I hadn't really put a ton of thought into before for some reason, but it's, it's basically, you had said that, uh, you know, simple decision-making in our photography as in where to go and what to focus on and how that impacts us as photographers and, and also how that impacts kind of what we produce. And I was really curious to hear you talk a little bit more about that idea. Yeah, well, that's something I began to notice, I think, the more I photographed with Adam Gibbs, just sort of, because I never really photographed anybody before. He's the first person that's, that's uh, really got an expertise in photography, at least landscape photography, that I've spent really any time watching. 
And uh, just watching him, I started to think a little bit more about, you know, the process of thinking our way through images and how that influences the kind of images that we make. So, for instance, if you just photograph on your own, then you have it's entirely up to you. And every decision you make about where to go, where to point the camera and what to do and so on is, is yours. And you can get kind of a, sort of a tunnel vision that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just watching Adam photograph uh, and then it's not so much watching. It's more, you know, you get up in the morning. Well, when do you get up? Do you get up at 5 a.m. or do you get up at 7.30? And, and what do you do when you get up? You know, do you eat breakfast? Do you have a cup of tea? Or do you grab all your gear and run out because, the you know, the sky's turning red or something? It's like those things actually, I think, matter way more than I thought they mattered. And I realized that photographing with Adam because he didn't get up for the sunrise. <laughs> yeah, I've heard him talk about that. He, he, yeah. he called it, I can't remember if it was on another podcast or what, but he someone asked him what quiet light means. And he made a joke that it was basically uh, the light after it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) It's not screaming at you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I thought was funny because it was really just uh, him making fun of his, you know, propensity of, you know, not getting up early. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think after 25 years of doing it every day, you know, you get a bit fed up of getting up at five o'clock in the morning. That's probably a, a significant part of it, but just, the real thing is, okay, so you cannot, you can push the issue and you can, you know, we stay in a camper often together. You can climb over the guy and get out the camper and leave him snoring there in the camper. Or, or you can just, you know, let the other person make the decision and see how it goes. And when I started doing that, when I just sort of relaxed and said, well, look, I'll just, I'll just go with the flow. I'll just do what he wants to do and see where that leads me. It made me realize how important your patterns of decision-making and thinking are in photography and how much they determine what the end result is going to be. And uh, so, you know, it's a simple matter of, okay, so, you know, it, it's raining. What should I do? Should I, you know, take pictures inside a forest? Should I stay at, in, at home? Should I go towards a river or a lake or a, a mountain? You know, where should I go given these certain conditions, right? Every little decision like that really makes a difference, I think, in the final result. And, and I just kind of only realized that maybe in the last five or six years. I've been stuck in this way of doing things and way of thinking that's uh, really narrowed my focus. And uh, I just think in the last four or five years, it's been a real benefit to me to um, give over to intuition, relax, uh, see the world in, in, in ways other people see it, do things in, in the ways they do things and so on. Uh, and that broadens your scope and I think makes you much more creative and artistic. Oh man, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, uh, it's so funny, uh, probably prior to maybe 2015, 2016, I had a very, very, very established pattern of how I engaged in photography. You know, it was like I had a very specific spot that I wanted to hike to, to take a very specific photograph at a very specific time of day. And that was always what drove me, you know, it was always this kind of objective based uh, pursuit of a, of a, of a specific image. And then I started hanging out with some other photographers who had a very different approach where it was, you know, much more relaxed you know, some days you, you sleep in, some days you, maybe you just kind of walk through the woods and look for something interesting. 
and it just really opened my eyes to to see that there you know it's not it's not a matter of right or wrong <clears throat> it's a matter of just expanding kind of your i guess your your toolbox of what's available to you as a photographer well today i'm going to use a wrench and tomorrow i'm going to use a screwdriver you know it's it's really you know having those different tools in the toolbox i think is really important to having a more diverse uh set of images but i think more so for me it expanded my longevity as a photographer i was finding that that aforementioned approach very stale and unrewarding and i don't know if if you also had that same feeling prior to maybe spending time with other people yeah i think so i i uh it's it's more about a, a repertoire it's more about how broad your your view is of things and you know if you only photograph alone and you continue to think in the same way and do the same kinds of things then your scope is narrow and your repertoire is, is small and I just, I really started to think about the decisions I make and how I make them and how that impacts the photographs that I make in the end in the last few years. And I think that's really helping me. So it's like, you know, when you grab your camera bag and you're about to go out the door, you're thinking certain things. And right at that point, what you're thinking is going to influence the kind of image that you make. And I think if you're more cognizant, cognizant of that, you're more aware of that, then you, you have more opportunity. Like most of the time when we do this, we're, we're just not aware. It's, it's automatic. Grab the bag, go, go to a lake, you know, uh, go there at sunset, you know, get a wide angle lens. It's just almost automatic the way we do things often. And I just find uh, that the more you evaluate how your thinking got you into that spot, the, the more open you can become to more possibilities. Yeah, I think, I think, that also speaks to different ways you can kind of trick yourself <laughs> into getting out of those kind of routines. You know, one of the things I love to do is maybe only bring one lens that I haven't used in a long time or or maybe go to a location that I've never scouted before, never looked on Google Earth about nothing and just go there and see if I can make an image there. You know, I think sometimes it's fun to put some constraints on yourself. And I think that kind of forces you to get out of those routines. And then I don't know about you, but oftentimes it results in some really great photos. Well, it's amazing how many times you get great images when you thought you were going to get nothing. I remember a trip I did to, um, I forgot the name of the lake. It's a lake on Vancouver Island. It begins with a C, I think it is. Uh, oh, can't remember the lake now. Anyway, went there and it was it's horrible. It was February and it was pouring with rain. I was actually there with Adam and uh, we were staying in his van, and uh, it was just awful. It was cold. It was sort of semi-slushy, wet snow, and it's pouring. And you know, we were driving down this logging road, and we had no idea what we were doing or where we were going. We didn't even know where we were going to camp, and we thought, well, let's just pull off the side of the road and we'll we'll camp right here. So we pulled off on the side of the road and looked at the forest and thought, well, you know, that looks kind of good. You know, it's sort of dripping wet and it's mossy and there's all these old maples. Maybe there's something. So we go in there. Well, it's soaking wet. It's like walking through a washing machine. We walk in there and we're both soaking wet within the first five minutes. And, and we sort of looked at each other and thought, oh, God, let's just get out of here. This isn't working. And then for some reason, I don't know what it was, we decided to just walk down to the edge of the lake and have a look at the lake just because. And I took then in five minutes 
two of the most favorite photographs I've ever taken in my life. Oh, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Yeah. I had a, I had a very similar experience uh, back in 2017. I was in one of my favorite kind of areas to photograph in autumn here in Colorado um, that I've probably been to three or four times before. And I just love shooting there, but I was by myself and I was kind of felt, felt kind of bored. You know, I kind of had already shot all the kind of classic, uh, you know, compositions that were in this place. And I just felt like I needed to do something different, but I didn't have any idea what that was. So I looked on my uh, Gaia or, or Gaia GPS for a trail and I was like, oh, there's a trail that kind of goes up to this high point. I'm going to go see what's there. I just, I don't even, maybe, maybe there's not even a view, who knows. And I did this crazy hike, probably took me two hours to get up there. And, you know, I got super lucky because this thunderstorm rolled in and the mountains all around me were covered in snow. And it was, it to this day, it's like one of my best selling photographs, but I wouldn't have done that if I, if I wouldn't have just gotten curious about, well, what else is there to find, you know? Yeah, I think um, yeah, when that's, you go the, to, that's the beauty of landscape, man. <laughs> yeah, when you go to the planned spots, you get the planned image, and, and nobody's that impressed with the planned image anymore because we have Instagram. And so we see a thousand planned images at the swish of the finger. So the planned image is just not that impressive, I find, anymore. Uh, people are more excited by things that they haven't seen before and they're unusual, and maybe they don't know the spot or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially nowadays with the internet, um, I don't know. I don't know how many times I've <clears throat> scrolled through Instagram, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's a great photo, but it's nothing new. <laughs> like it's yeah. that same composition from that same photographer, you know." So, so yeah, well, you know, I think that, yeah, that's really interesting because we were uh, just at uh, Abraham Lake, I guess you know, and uh, sure, and you know, Abraham Lake is famous for the bubbles, right? Everybody goes to Abraham Lake for the ice bubbles. And uh, we weren't even thinking that we'd get any pictures at Abraham Lake. We were only going there for a place to camp. We originally wanted to go to Moline Lake and canoe down the lake uh, and get the planned shot of Spirit Island, right? And uh, it, that turned out to be the best phot photography trip I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how that can just completely change your perspective. And, and I don't know, I think separating yourself from – the expectation of what you had in mind, I think I can't express it enough, but for me, that is one of the most powerful things you can do as a photographer because it really just opens the world up to any possible thing. And I think why a lot of people don't do it is because it can be mired in a lot of failure as well. You know, you can, you know, like maybe you take a hike through the woods and you, you might come away with nothing. Well, that was, That's I okay. used to say, Look, it's easy for a professional photographer because they've got lots of time. And so if they have a, a low uh, probability of getting a great shot, so what? I'll just go back the next day or the next day or the day after that. But for somebody like me who has a real job, you know, I've only got this one shot at it. And so right. I've got to get the shot that's going to repay. I'm gonna get, I've got to get the shot that's going to be good. I can't take a big risk that I'm not going to get anything. You know, this is my one trip a year. And so I always felt like as a as an amateur photographer, uh, I was almost forced into the preconceived photograph a little bit. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally appreciate that. And, uh, 
you know, I have a full-time job as well. And I, I totally understand that line of thinking. In fact, that's how I, that's how I got into composite work back in 2012 is like, Oh, it wasn't what I expected, but I can make it look better through Photoshop. And I totally, I totally understand why people have that thought process because your time is so precious and the amount of time you get to spend outside is, you know, especially if you only get maybe a couple, three, four times a year that you can do it. I totally get that. However, I think it traps you um, unless, and it's okay if you, that's what you want to do. That's fine. But I think it does trap you into making photographs that might not sustain your passion and your drive long-term. At least that was my experience. Yeah, I think that's, I think a lot of people have that experience. I think maybe many people know it too, right? I mean, they understand that they have limited amount of time and there's other things that are more important than their interest in photography. And so it's a, I think it's a little bit of a battle that many people have with themselves and they know it really. I mean, I knew it. I mean, I was only photographing five or six years and I knew this was a problem for me. Right. So I think a lot of us struggle with it. Yeah. Well, this totally speaks to another uh, topic I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and I think we're already kind of talking about it, but it's essentially, you know, the different stages of personal development in photography. As someone who's been shooting for 30 years, I'm sure you've kind of gone through all kinds of different stages of development. And I would love to hear kind of your take on what those stages look like from your perspective. Yeah, I, I was just sort of thinking a little while ago about this, and I, I was thinking, oh, I'd like to sort of understand my own journey or my own progression. So I, I wasn't really developing a theory about the stages landscape photographers go through, right? I was more thinking about what stages have I gone through and what stage do I want to get to next, right? So it was more descriptive, not really a theoretical enterprise about explaining to people how, how your development will evolve as a photographer over the years. And I realized that I'd spent a lot of years in what I call, funnily enough, I call the first phase. And uh, that was a technical phase. That was sort of learning about how the camera works, you know, f-stops, shutter speeds, uh, learning sort of technically about light and what kind of light works and doesn't work and so on. And I think pretty much everybody kind of has to go through that phase a little bit. I think you're never really going to be happy with your photography unless you go through that. So that's one that's maybe universal, but I know for sure that I went through that phase. And uh, yeah, and that was helped a lot, like hugely uh, by wedding photography for me. It really accelerated it. Right. I mean, the idea of that is if if you don't have to think about your settings, then that's out of the way and you can focus more on creativity. Yeah, exactly. And we had, you know, when somebody's paying you money uh, to do a job, it's the the requirements and the standards are totally different. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you think differently. Uh, the stakes are so much higher. You're way, you know, you're way more on top of it than you are if you're just going out for the weekend shooting. And so I think the wedding photography really forced me to understand cameras. And something as simple as, you know, you know what the shutter speed should be for a given ISO and given aperture under certain lighting conditions. That kind of stuff, I actually think has really helped me over the years because it, it just, you know when it's wrong, right? You know when it's something it shouldn't be. Yes. 
And in a film days, you know, we, we used 100 and 400. We used 160, mostly a little bit of 100 and 400 ISO film. Once in a while, we'd use 800 ISO film. So you didn't have that many ISOs to choose from. And so you actually learned pretty quickly what the right exposures were uh, for given ISOs under certain light conditions. And even now today, I sort of, I sort of know what the exposure should be at you know, for 400 ISO uh, in certain light conditions. And I, I just think that really helped me a lot. Um, learning how to use tripods, learning how to change lenses quickly and things like that, learning how to keep your camera dry when it's raining, all of that kind of stuff, I just think is a, I, I think it's a big deal. And it's a stage that everybody needs to go through to get to the place I think most of us want to be, which is making beautiful, artful images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's so what's, what's the next one? Well, that, that for me was quite a long stage because I, you know, I didn't photograph that much, just weddings. So maybe, I don't know, six, seven years, eight years or something I spent in that stage. And then the next thing is, uh, I think the next thing for me was composition. It was just trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And so it's a bit, it's obviously overlapping, right? I mean, it's not like you're not thinking about composition when you're thinking about technical stuff, but it's... Sure. Once the technical is down, then you really start focusing much more on composition. You're not worried about aperture or anything like that. So that I think that's a phase two. It's uh, learning how to put together an image in which the elements work with each other. And the eye leads itself through the image in a, in a pleasing way. That's, I think, part, quite a large part of developing a capability as a good photographer. And for me, that was quite a while. I mean, I still haven't got really much. I, I don't think much about composition anymore. I just, it's become sort of intuitive for me. Uh-huh. Um, so I may still be in that phase a little bit. Like, you know, when Adam does his videos of pointing out where a, a branch should be and this twig's good there and the leaf is not good over there and stuff like that. I can't think like that. I just kind of have over the years developed a sort of intuitive sense of whether something works, elements work together in an image. But I would say that's, I'm still a bit in that phase, but maybe, maybe out of it now. And then the next one is. Um, well, before, you, before you move past composition, yeah. because I think composition for me and probably 95% of other photographers is one of the things that uh, people I think struggle with, or maybe I don't want to say, Struggle, it could be struggle, but it could also be, you know, something that is constantly evolving or something that, you know, you used to think you were really good at or is really intuitive. But now it's like you look back at your older photos and you're like, no, there's lots of things that are wrong with that composition. So I think what's super interesting about composition is that uh, it evolves over time, um, your ability to do it. And I think also your, I think, I don't know about you, but my style of composition has certainly changed a little bit over the years. Um, And then also I think it's really fascinating uh, asking other photographers what, you know, for, for specific images, especially, you know, what exactly did you have in mind with this composition? Like what are you using in the scene to, to make this a good composition? Um, And I think you get, wildly different answers depending on who you ask yeah yeah I, I really agree with that like i mean some people are quite technical and they they understand image structure and all of that really well 
if you were to ask me that question, I'd say, look, I can't answer any of those things. I'm not doing anything. I'm not thinking anything really about it at all. It just, it just works. I just think it looks right. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's funny because I think, uh, for me, I go in and out of that stage. Like, Oh, I don't even think about it. I just do it. And then I go through other stages where I'm like, okay, I like that there's something over here that anchors this part of the scene. I don't want to make it too right heavy or too left heavy and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's really interesting, at least, you know, introspectively speaking, uh, how my my own personal viewpoints on composition have shifted over the years. And I, I, I personally find composition to be just one of the things that's most fascinating to talk about, but it's hard to do over a podcast. <laughs> well, I think the fact that, you know, the rules don't always work. And very often when you break the rules, you get something that does work. It's very instructive about this. And that is that really composition isn't a rule-based activity. Uh, There's no formula to tell you what the right composition is. I think it is intuitive. It is artistic. And the people that are good at it have really developed a good intuition for the way elements work in an image. And I, I often think that the backwards explaining of why it works isn't really an explanation of why it works. I mean, you think it's an explanation, right? You give your explanations about why you think the composition in your particular image you've done is good, but mm-hmm. I, it, it either works or it doesn't. And those explanations are just all post-hoc. They're all, I, I don't necessarily think they're true. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to react to that because I agree and disagree with what you just said. <laughs> um, I could make a case either way, but I love that you said it. Um, Because I don't think anyone else has actually said that on the podcast before, so I I like it. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's. uh, uh, I've done a lot of videos with with Adam. Sorry to keep mentioning Adam, but it's just because I've done so much with him that I'm I'm mentioning him. But I mean, he was only the international landscape photographer of the year. So yeah, he's uh, he he goes through composition so carefully in some of his videos, you know, and he talks about what works with what and little decisions that he's making, minute movements. And obviously, then he has a very clear sense of it. He can think his way through composition and understands the relationship between things. Maybe I compose intuitively because I just don't understand any of that. Maybe I think it's not a rule-guided activity because I just don't get the rules. Hmm. It could be. I mean, I just don't really know. Um, I could just sort of describe what I think I do. And what I think I do is just look at it. And after 25 years of looking at pictures think it works. That's all. Yeah, I think there's a real danger in trying to follow rules or things of that nature because, um, and I think you see photographers do it all the time, even really good photographers where it's like, well, I gotta, I gotta find something really interesting for the foreground. And it's like, okay, but trying to find something interesting for your foreground won't necessarily make or break your composition, you know? Like, like you said, it either is going to work or it's not, you know? And I think sometimes you can tell when it's kind of contrived. It's like, well, I had to find this really cool log <laughs> for, the cup, for my foreground. Otherwise, the photo wasn't going to be any good. It's like, well, maybe you should have just composed it a little differently and not emphasize the foreground so much. Um, yeah, I think maybe uh, for me, as, as I get older, I understand how much I don't know. And so maybe I'm <laughs> yeah, just in this kind of catatonic stage now of really sort of thinking I don't really know anything. I just do things. And I either like the result or I don't like the result. And that's kind of all I've got. I don't, 
Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. No, that's totally fair. All right. So I didn't mean to derail us there too much. So what's after composition? Uh, well, then I think it's uh, intuition. So then I think it's more about becoming reactive and intuitive yeah. in the way that you photograph. So that's maybe a creative phase where you're sort of moving away from thinking about your images, which you would do if you're thinking through a composition or thinking through an aperture or shutter speed, to feeling your images. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for me. It's, uh, I don't, have you, did you find uh, early on in your photography career that you were better at that than you were after the kind of technical phase? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. Because I look back at, um, or even just think back to my early days in photography, and my intuition was all I had, <laughs> you know? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what the heck uh, ISO and shutters, I was I was just reacting to what I saw, and I thought it looked cool. And, and then, you know, you start getting mired down in all the technical details, and and you forget about some of that intuition. I, I don't, that was my experience anyway. I, I mean, it's come back over time, but... I think back to my earlier years and it was much more natural. Yeah, I think that's almost certainly right. That uh, it's, I think Picasso said you have to see the world through the eyes of a child or something like that. And, right. You know, that's, I guess, what you're trying to do. And for me, at least what I'm trying to do, because I think I'm in that stage right now, is I'm, I'm trying to displace all of the thinking and put in place of the thinking just feeling. Mm. And uh, I'm, I find that extremely difficult, uh, but I think it's what I'm actually trying to do. I'm trying to be more reactive, responsive, and intuitive uh, yes. rather than logical or cogitative. You know, I'm trying not to think about it too much. And uh, I guess that's, it's a returning back to, to an earlier stage, maybe, but I think it's with the benefit of uh, technical understanding, understanding of light and composition and so on. So it's, it's more sophisticated than it, it would have been, uh, you know, maybe 30 years ago at the start. Right. No, that totally, totally makes sense. hundred percent. You know, it's all the technical aspects are natural. You don't think about them anymore. And now the benefit of your intuition will, will be rewarded through that kind of innate knowledge that you have about the technical side. Yeah. Yeah, sort of returning to the the child within, you know. See if you yes. Can bring is that out. A, is there is there a stage four? <laughs> oh my God, we're getting a bit psychological. That sounded pretty close to Freud. The, the child within. <laughs> Let's not bring him into this. Yeah, yeah, there's a fourth stage. There's a fourth stage. I definitely have not even come close to that fourth stage. At least, in, at least in my own thinking. Um, and that, to me, that's the sort of the personal style stage. Mm. You know, where you don't, it's, you don't you think you did it? Uh, uh, you know, I, I have types of images I like, and so I tend to take those kinds of pictures. Mm -hmm. um, but I just take pictures of everything and anything. It's not like I, I don't think I have a style yet. Yeah, it's, I, I ask myself that question a lot too. It's because, you know, a lot of that is, is in response. I don't, this is going to sound really egotistical, but, you know, when, you know, you know how it goes. Like people are like, "Oh, you have such a good eye," or whatever. And it's like, I mean, I guess. I mean, you're you're trying to tell me I have like a. You can tell when it's my photo, and I I don't know if I agree with that, but uh, 
I think most of us photographers, not all, but a lot of us are very humble. You know, it's like, well, I, I guess it's a style. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not humble until you see how good everybody else is. I mean, I think that's one of the great Instagram, right? It's like you think you're pretty good until you turn on Instagram. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a huge danger in comparing yeah. yourself to others for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to think that about books, you know, because when I started, it was all books and magazines. There was no internet when I started. And so you look at books, you know, and you think, well, you know, I could take pictures that good. And you'd look at magazines, you think, oh, that's, you know, that's the contrast is too low there and the colors aren't bright. And it's, you know, this bit's not sharp and that bit's not sharp. And then you start publishing your own work in magazines and you realize, my God, you know, the work that people actually do is so much better than what you see in magazines. And, and there's so much filler in books and so on that you really don't understand how good people are by looking at magazines and books. But with something like Instagram, it's free to publish. So you see everything that everybody's got, right? And, you, and so you realize how good some of the work is that people have. Well, and not only that, but there's a huge difference because um, most most of the work in magazines, you know, those are people that are on assignment. They don't get to like do redos, you know, they're being sent out to capture something. And then the next hour they have to capture something else. And so like, that was the best thing that they could come up with in the very limited amount of time they had with that subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point. I've always, uh, once you, once you actually realize, uh, you know, the depth of what it takes to be a good photographer. Then you're just like, okay, my photography is pretty good, but man, there's a lot of photography out there that's so much better. <laughs> well, I think I, I think maybe it's something to do with age, but I, I think when I hit about 50, I, I, I dropped all the I'm pretty good stuff, you know. I, I just... <laughs> I'm just too old to think that way now. I just think, you know, what's going to look good on my wall? That's basically all I think. Yeah. What do I, what do I want to hang on my wall? And so for me, it's like, well, if I've done it before, I don't want to hang it on my wall. Or if it's kind of simple and I, I sort of, you know, it, it was easy to take or it's the subject's not particularly interesting or special or, or I didn't see something that wasn't obvious, you know, then I don't want to put it on my wall. I only want to put stuff on my wall where, wow, I really saw something there or it was a special moment or something like that. Not because, oh, this shot's better than the other shots that I've seen out there or anything like that. That's, I don't think like that at all. Anymore. No, that makes sense. <laughs> I think well, it's... A lot of it could be, you know, like if you're a competitive person, like I, I've always been a pretty competitive person. I think it is natural to compare yourself to other people and want to be uh, as good as other people or better. Uh, so for me, I think that's always a weakness of mine. It's something I've had to fight is to try in photography is to try not to do that. Oh, hundred percent. I remember um, back in like 2014, 2015, I wrote an article on my old website about that, that, one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a photographer is to compare your f photos with other people's photos because in just like any other endeavor in life, there's a very high likelihood that you're going to find someone who's better than you. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not going to feel very good. Um, I mean, Wait, sometimes so you, just, you just shouldn't look. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it is nice to see other people's work, but at the same time, I don't think it's, it's a very, I don't know, healthy thing to do to say like, Oh, my photos are better or my photos are worse. I think sometimes it's better to just say, 
these are my photos and this is what I like about them. And this is what I don't like about them. And, and that gives you a place to grow from and, and a place to be pr- something to be proud of as well. Well, isn't that what a true artist is supposed to be, right? Somebody that has no commercial or competitive interests. <laughs> well, yes. And <laughs> that's-, so that's why, that's why I'm trying to get into this kind of, uh, last phase here, right? Which is trying to put all of that competitive and commercial thinking aside and just, do things that are, you know, that are from within. Yeah. Do you think that results in better photos? Well, I don't know what better means, right? Like people will say all the time on your pictures, oh, this is the best shot or this is a great shot or that shot over there is good. I just think "Ah, that's not what you really mean. Mm -hmm. What you really mean is you really like it a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between I really like something and it's the best. So, you know, maybe I really like a McDonald's hamburger, right? But is it the best hamburger? Well, no. So what we like and what is the best, I think, are really completely different things. And so I just, I'm just trying to forget about the best and think more about, you know, what I'm trying to do. And if I do that, then I'm going to like it. That's it. Yeah, this, that, that, that got me to think about something that, you know, every once in a while someone will say as a comment on my photo or a photo of mine. It's like, oh, I think this is one of your best. And it's like, on one hand, that's a really good compliment. And on the other hand, it's like, but what about all the other photos I put up? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know about you, but it's like, as because I'm very competitive as well, mostly with myself, you know, like, you know, when I do workouts or things like that, I'm trying, I'm always trying to like best my previous times or whatever. And uh, it's, yeah, when someone says something like that, it's like, oh yeah, but what about all those other things I made? Those are good too, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like, it's just, we said one thing, but really meant another. Yes. It's, it's that kind of thing, right? So when we say, oh, that's the best. Well, it was just a convenient way of saying what we really should have said, which is, I like this one more than I like your others. Sure. Right. Which totally takes fair. too long. And it's a totally fair statement. I mean, what I love about photography and art in general is it's completely acceptable for one group of people to really like one of my photos and it's completely acceptable for another group of people to totally hate it. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if that's the whole thing about artistry is if you're trying to chase the opinions of people, that's really more of a commercial enterprise, not an artistic one. And so I just think a real artist, you got to be totally honest with yourself, right? You have to be, you have to introspect, you have to look inwards at what you're trying to do to understand it. That's the way not looking outwards at what other people are doing and what other people are saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a lofty goal. I'll just state that. I mean, <laughs> it comes very naturally for most humans. No. But I totally agree with you. And I think that's something I always point people to when other photographers uh, offer up critique or maybe say something negative about other people's work. And then they get really defensive about it. It's to me, it's like, well, why are you getting defensive? Like, it's, it's okay for that person to not like what you did. It's no big deal, you know? And I think that defensiveness piece for me often points back to the intent or the why of the image that you had re- previously referred to, which is not artistry, but commercial enterprise. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, there's a big difference between saying I don't like it and it's bad. 
And <laughs> I don't think you should be that worried with I don't, about I don't like it, unless you're a commercial photographer, then you should be very worried about it. But uh, I, I, I'm not. And, but I think you, should, it's, you shouldn't say images are bad or good too much. You should just talk about what your preference is for them, I think. Sure. Well, maybe that's a perfect segue into something you had said to me on our correspondence, um, which is, you know, why is it important not to listen to what you have to say, Jeremy? <laughs> oh dear, I, I was always trying to, I was trying to poke you by saying that. <laughs> I was thinking, oh God, I wonder what he'll say if I write that down. <laughs> Well, it worked. <laughs> yeah, I know it did work. Oh dear. Well, I'm just think. You know what I think is, what the hell do I know? I mean, I don't know anything. Why are you listening to me? Basically, that's what I think. Yeah. So, so that's the, sort of the first thing is, um, you know, maybe you should listen to people that are really good. Like, I mean, somebody like David Ward probably has something useful to say. But somebody like me, I mean, I, you know, I, I just don't. I, I don't. I'm not in anywhere near in a category like that to be passing judgment on what other people are doing. So, so I feel like uh, take what I say with a very large sack of salt. And then the other thing is, is um, I think it's kind of maybe better to watch people, to watch how people work, you know, rather than listen to them talk about how they work. Because, you know, what people say about what they do and what they actually do, they're not always the same, right? I think this is a huge benefit of workshops. Mm-hmm. You, the, you know, to me, the power of a workshop is you can see how people work. And that, I think there's a lot in that. Unless you're one of, so that's an interesting one, right? Because uh, there's kind of a, a split between photographers who teach workshops where on in one camp, there are people that believe that the, one of the best ways to teach is to like actually get your camera out and show people kind of your approach to photography. And then there's another camp of photographers who think, well, if I'm making photographs and using my camera, then I'm not paying attention to what my workshop clients uh, are paying me for. Yeah. And I think there's kind of truth in both of those statements. And when I teach, I try to take both approaches because I think there's value in in showing people how I work, and I think there, if if they think there's any, if they think there's any value in that, and I think there's value in uh, you know me putting away all of my stuff and just helping them one on one with whatever they're trying to figure out. So I think both of those are true. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I was just trying to you know make the the case for maybe more weight on the side of watching. Yes, well, and I you will say I mean? too, you're not exactly uh, the. This is a joke, by the way, but you're not exactly making a strong case for people to listen to a podcast. <laughs> I know. I'm just hoping I don't say something really stupid. You know, that's that. If I don't do that, then this this whole thing has been really successful for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. I think you know. I in, in retrospect, um, trying to do an auditory uh, platform for a visual arts. Uh, medium is was maybe not the best choice, but it's been fun. <laughs> well, it's a te- actually, it's a testament to how good of an interviewer you are that you actually do make it work. So it's a testament to you that this actually works and people listen to it. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate that. All right. Well, I appreciate what you said because I think, um, you know, if everyone took what everyone on this podcast says at face value, 
that wouldn't necessarily be fair because, um, you know, I think it's, it's most, most of it's just about listening to other people's opinions and way they think. And what me personally, what I love about, uh, this show as the host is I get to learn all kinds of different ways of thinking and approaching the art form. Um, and it doesn't mean I have to emulate every single person, but maybe I can take like 5% of this person and 2% of that person and, and, you know, take the things that I like that'll make me a better photographer, you know? So I think, well, there's this thing in golf for a while. I'm a big golfer and, uh, or I was, I, I actually lost the use of my left hand, uh, as a result of the, I'd actually, I'm not really sure why it was. There's some debate about why it was, but anyway, I don't, I can't play golf anymore, but I was a big, uh, golfer all my life since a very young age and and there's a joke in golf that that people that actually interview golf teachers they can't play golf because their head is so full of stuff about how to stand and how to hold the club and how to swing and what to do they can't even move they're catatonic because there's too much stuff in their head right and so i'm sort of thinking that too it's like uh, you know try to get all the stuff out of your head once you've got the technical stuff down once you get what good light is then stop thinking. Mm. Just, just, just act. Just be reactive and intuitive. Actually, that's really why I like uh, DSLRs. I, I'm, try, I'm thinking about buying a new camera, and I'm thinking about this Fuji GFX, you know, um, and the 100 looks incredible. Yeah. And uh, but it's just like I, I, I like DSLRs because I think they allow you to be a bit more reactive, to think less. Like uh, you know, some people like these things because. They think more. They're more careful about the composition, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I think, no, no, I, I'd like to stay with a DSLR because I don't have to think. I can just react to what's in front of me and be intuitive rather than be slow and, and meandering and think carefully through a composition. So, so I think maybe I actually go with a DSLR, maybe not go with the Fuji. I don't know. I haven't really decided about that yet. But that's a that's a real big part of the decision as to how reactive and intuitive you can be with with the equipment. Well, and I think you know I'm thinking back to a photo shoot I did just yesterday, and I made the conscious conscious decision to to put away my tripod for for a particular scene that I saw um, because I I didn't want the tripod to dictate my composition and I, and I, and then the light was changing pretty rapidly. And so I knew like I didn't have a whole lot of time to react to what I was seeing. And I didn't want, you know, the tripod to kind of, you know, like, Oh, I have to adjust it this way and like move three inches to the left and blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, just use my hands. And so, you know, I just boosted my ISO up a little bit um, so I could have a little bit higher shutter speed and it worked out great. But I think to your point, the less, things that get in the way of how we think about reacting to a scene, probably the better. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, it, a lot of it depends on who you are. Like if you've grown up maybe in the four by five era, you know, where you had to shoot slow, then maybe that's just who you are. And that's just how you like to approach uh, the subject. Totally. Uh, I sort of grew up with uh, 35 millimeter film, you know, uh, autofocus was just getting to be reasonably good when I started shooting. And so I've grown up more in a sort of faster paced, more reactive type of photography. And I'm not sure whether or not slowing down with a bigger, heavier, more difficult to use camera would affect me. I'm worried it would actually. I'm worried it would not be commensurate with the way that I like to approach things. So that it's interesting. You know, you hear all this sort of technical discussion about 
cameras and so on. But this decision for me, and it, I don't have very much money, so this is a huge decision for me to switch a camera system. Sure. And, God, and uh, so this decision is going to be way more about usability than it is going to be about optical quality because optical quality is so good now. Everything is so good. It's just incredible, the, the, the progression since I started photography, the progression is, is, well, there's just no way you could imagine 20 years ago things would be as good as this. You, you couldn't have. If somebody would have said, you have produced that image with a 35-millimeter camera and printed it in your house, you would have said it's impossible. You can't do it. So we, I think we, are, we, we don't, especially the younger photographers, they don't really understand how good image quality is now. Uh, because they've sort of photographed in an era where image quality has always been pretty good. But it's it's really, really, really good with any system now, I think. In fact, I was just watching uh, William Neal, who is one of the all-time great landscape photographers, yes. uh, photographing some trees and some fog in uh, California, where he lives. I think he did a little bit of a thing on Instagram with it, and he posted some pictures. And he was using a Sony 35mm, and he's the classic 4x5 guy. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I love that guy. I've had him on the show. He's got to meet him in uh, out of Yosemite. He's such a down to earth guy too, and he's like you said, he's one of the legends. <laughs> oh God, is he ever? He's one of the guys that uh, that started me off in photography. I used to read his column in Outdoor Photographer all the time. Yes, and uh, was very very inspired. I loved that shot. He that he was the guy that took the picture of that rock at Lake Louise, right? And the lake was blue and there's a bit of fog and there was like a couple of rocks under the water. It was a famous, famous picture, four by five. He thought he made a mistake and then he got it back to the lab and uh, and it was one of the, his favorite pictures that he's ever taken. <laughs> well, maybe this is a perfect segue to ask uh, someone with as much experience in the field as you have, um, who do you think are the greatest landscape photographers? Who do I think are the greatest landscape photographers? So, okay, so I was thinking about what makes somebody great in a particular area, right? And so I was thinking about my own area. And what makes somebody great in my er uh, area is that they look at the world a different way. They, they, they see things differently than other people do. And it's so hard to do that, you know, when everybody is thinking a certain way, there's a certain theoretical predisposition towards things it's very very hard to get outside of that and the, the people that really are special are the people that can stand outside of a discipline and look at it from the outside and uh, that's I think that's what greatness is so I'm going to put at the top of my list even though I would not hang one of his photographs in my house <laughs> it's not my style I'm not really kind of that interested in the style per se but I would say Mark Adams. Yeah, I feel you. I think he changed the game, and that's hard to do. He he definitely did. He, uh, I mean, you think back pre Mark Adams and then post Mark Adams, he definitely he definitely made shifted the uh, the discipline in a certain direction. Yeah, and he took hell for it. You know, there was a lot of people that didn't like him for what he was doing and the digital influence that he had, and I think that's just. Uh, that's characteristic of people that that change things. It's, it's not easy to change things, and there's always often a lot of pushback. And so he got quite a bit of pushback in the early days, and he he stuck to his guns. And uh, I think it's really changed 
uh, landscape photography, a large part of landscape photography. And so I, I put him right at the very top. I actually, people are going to so hate me for saying this. But <laughs> I, I, I put him up there with Ansel Adams. No, I mean, he, there's, it's funny, I was the, the same person I was telling you about earlier in the podcast, Kane, my friend Kane, we were actually talking about Mark on a hike we did earlier this fall and got into a little bit of an argument because he, he, he and I don't necessarily have the same, I don't know, viewpoint about Mark, you know, for him, he's, he, he kind of has the same sentiment as you, that he was probably one of the greatest landscape photographers a lot to ever live. And I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think he's an amazing photographer. I think what's made his photography stand out isn't photography. Um, but those are two different, I guess, conversations. So what has made, what, what did make it stand out then? Well, I mean, if you look at a lot of his really well-known work, there's a lot of compositing and uh, digital manipulation uh, that's very fantasy-like. And he wouldn't probably disagree or argue with that statement. Um, In fact, I know in his workshops, he actually teaches people to, you know, oh, take a picture of that cloud over there and that bird and that plant because we can use it later for your final image or whatever, I think. I mean, that's what he, he's known for. And I think, I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong with that, but that is what has, me personally, I I more appreciate people like Will, uh, Will William Neal who don't rely on that kind of manipulation to make a powerful image um, because I think it takes more discipline. But it's, mm. it's a different skill set. And I'm not saying one skill set's better or worse. Um, well, I, I wouldn't say I, I cleave to Mark's work. I don't. I don't. I agree with you. I, the manipulation bothers me. It's a little over the top for me, and it, it, it's it's. I, I'm not sure as the extent to which it's real photography. I suppose. So it's not really necessarily my thing per se, and it's sure. not how I would try to shoot. But I just, I just feel like the influence that he's had, like photography before him, was totally different than photography after him. Yes, and like it or not, I just think that's who the people that are really great are—is the people that change things. No, I think you're right. I mean, I don't mean to. I've, I mean, I've tried to get Mark to come on the show so many times, and he hasn't been on yet. So, but um, and I would love to talk to him about those those kinds of things because I think he definitely deserves every bit of praise and respect that he um, that anyone would give him. Um, and I think there's room to talk about, you know, you know, not all of that influence has necessarily been positive. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's, it's almost sort of almost like that would change, right? I mean, whenever anything changes, there's some good things about it and there's some bad things about it. Absolutely. And I, I think for sure he set in motion some things that are, <laughs> let's say, not, not appealing to many photo- landscape photographers. For but, sure. And he's opened a lot of doors for creativity and artistry that people maybe yeah. previously hadn't thought of. Yeah. So I would say, I would say Mark is, uh, Mark's up there. And then I, I like the old school guys. Like I, I, for me, David Ward is just, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just incredible. I just think the way that he sees things is, I, I just don't know how he does it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm so impressed with the ability to see in a way that I just, don't understand. So I would put David Wardway up there and uh, 
my favorite photographer of all time is uh, Bruce Percy, mm, yeah, which a lot of people know. Not a lot of people know him. A lot of people like his work. I just think he has this way of doing things that's uh, really unique to him. And he, he makes uh, something that is actually very difficult look very easy. Like minimal, minimalism done well is, is very difficult. Totally. I mean, anyone who's ever tried it, <laughs> they're like, oh, how hard can it be? It's like, uh, just isolate a subject. And, you know, it's actually much harder than that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I try this stuff all the time, right? Like a little piece of a tree in the snow or something like that, right. a riverbank, and it always looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think there's probably a, a bit of a post-processing artistry about the type of work as well. <laughs> oh, that's what my wife says. My wife says he's pretty heavily post-processed. But. That's probably true. There's nothing yeah. really wrong with that. But well, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I still I still think it's – it's, and I think he's a very interesting guy. He's a very smart, yeah, uh, interesting, thoughtful, introspective person as well. You listen to him on his uh, – speak on, on uh, interviews and podcasts and so on. He's very interesting. Yep. Cool, man. So that would be my list. Awesome. Well, this might sound, uh, I don't know, repetitive, but uh, after talking about that, who do you think would be interesting to hear on the podcast? Well, I, I, I gave you a few suggestions, and I don't know if these people would be interesting, but I do like their photography. So a, a guy um, that I, I think I was following right off the bat is called Finn Beals. Mm-hmm. Finn Beals. Now, I have no idea about him. I haven't researched him, but I find his photography just incredible. It's not classic landscape photography, photographs everything, uh, but he just, every single image, it just seems to touch me. It just seems there's something about it that draws me in. So he has that special ability that I'm trying to create. Yeah. And uh, so just to listen to what he's thinking and how he does things, I think would be very interesting. So that's one. And then, okay, this guy, uh, Marco Cipriasso. Yeah. Marco, you know, you said you know Marco. Yeah, he and I exchange uh, DMs on Instagram every once in a while. <laughs> okay, so you'll know Marco. I, I, Again, I really don't know anything about him. He seems very personable, very nice guy on Instagram, supportive and everything else. And uh, I think his photography is just beautiful. Oh, I'm going to give you another one that I didn't tell you about. Can I do that? Of course. Okay, uh, let's make sure I get her name right. I'm just going to search it here. I think it's Carolyn Cheng. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. Carolyn Cheng. She'd be good because she's her all black and white, you know, so it's a little different style, and she seems also very supportive and nice and great work. Yeah, um, she made a very brief appearance on the podcast back on episode 100 uh, where we had a huge panel conversation um but i've been meaning to reach out because she just she also does some really cool aerial work as well yeah i didn't know that i just i've just seen some of her work and i just thought yeah you know it's it's really great it's just beautiful interesting black and white yes cool awesome well that those are those are some great recommendations um look look, matt if you have me on you've got (laughs) ten thousand other people to choose from (laughs) You know that that is one thing that's really cool about this community, though. There is um, almost an endless supply of really good photographers who have an interesting story to tell. So uh, I don't think I'm going to have 
any problem keeping the podcast going for a little bit longer. No, there's, it's unbelievable how many people are that are out there. They're actually good. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should say that, that I actually like a lot. <laughs> oops, oops. Hey, you know, it's okay. You know, like we were saying before, if, if um, someone really likes someone's work and someone doesn't like their work, that, that doesn't mean they're a bad person or a bad photographer. It's just exactly. yeah. in someone has different tastes and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's make sure we keep that clear. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, Jeremy, man, this has been so much fun. Are you surprised at how fast the time goes? Well, I've got this clock. It's so hard to speak to somebody when all you can see is a clock. Right. And you, I don't know what's on this thing that you're using, but all I see is, is a, an audio feed. Right. And a clock, you know, and I'm, so I do actually know how fast the time has gone because it's kind of all I can see is this clock. But uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Hey, I mean, I find this, though, you must find this. Anytime you talk to a like-minded person, time flies. Oh, it's great. And yeah. photography, I've very few things like I'm a big golfer and golf is the same as photography. You get a golfer going, you never stop them talking, right? It's endless conversations about what happened on the third hole and a six foot putt and I did this and my club's that. And it's the same with photography. It's, uh, it, there's nobody easier to talk to than a fellow photographer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, for all we know, we have very differing views on everything else in life, but that's cool. Well, yeah, I'm so glad you didn't ask me any political questions. That's wonderful. Well, I mean, you live in Canada, so how bad your, your politics be? Oh, well, well, you should you should come to one of our dinner parties once in a while. It's, it's we have the same trouble everywhere, you know. It's it's that's why you should never really talk about politics with people. It's just, you know, unless you know you already agree. Totally. (laughs) Awesome, Jeremy. Well, thank you so much. This has been a real delight and I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join me on the show. Well, it was was absolutely my pleasure, Matt. Thank you very much for doing this. It's a great resource, great opportunity for people like me to uh, talk to other like-minded photographers. It was a wonderful experience. So thank you very much. And uh, thank you to your friend, Kane, as well. I'm going to look him up as soon as I get off this podcast. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Well, thanks to Jeremy for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time and for sharing your perspective with us. I really love your work and I can't wait to see what else you create in the coming years. Well, in case you missed it, the podcast was featured in the January 2021 issue of Podcast Magazine. It was an honor to be interviewed by their arts director, Angel Hartwell, and to share the story behind the podcast and why I do it. It was a great reminder of how appreciative I am of the support that I receive from our patrons over on Patreon, as well as those that donate to the show via PayPal on my website. As we approach episode 200 after nearly four years of recording, I feel very proud of what we have been able to accomplish as a community here on F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. That's all thanks to you, the listeners, and to our amazing guests. I hope we can do this for another 200 more. Thanks to our newest patrons, including James Rodewald, Charlie Vandenbrack, Jos Panacook, Eugene Theron, and Brenda Petrella. I really appreciate your support. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.